You can see Isaac the whole time. <laughs> Turn this off over here. Get a bit of a buzz and a hum. And if you talk to my family, they will tell you that Pastor Joe is easily distracted by distracting noises. <laughs> and my easily being distracted is annoying to my family. <laughs> you would think that a bush that burns without being consumed. And in the very presence of the living God who made the universe speaking to you from it for a long period of time, you would think that would be enough to help you along and say yes to whatever God is commanding you to do and just to get on board, wouldn't you? You'd think that would be enough. We left Moses last Sunday near the end of chapter 3 in the book of Exodus in exactly such a position. And God's called Moses to go back to Egypt and bring his family and nation out of bondage even matched up with what Moses himself had been feeling 40 years before. Remember that? The text is clear. Moses felt like he was called to be the, the leader, the savior, to bring him out. And that was part of what raised his hand to kill the Egyptian who was harming a fellow Hebrew. So 40 years ago, he had it in his gut. And then God confirmed it out of the burning bush and speaking to him. But we should never underestimate the power of fear the power of the feeling of inadequacy, the power of maybe depression, we can psychoanalyze all day long, right? And the power of unbelief in the human heart. For even with the burning bush and the voice and the presence of God, right in front of him, Moses answers God in this fashion. Exodus chapter four, verse one. Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, God. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? He said, A staff. God said, Throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses ran from it, as you would. Amen. The Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Sure, that seems like a good idea. So now, now it's interesting. He initially ran, but he came back and he listened to God's voice. And he actually reached out. He, he obeyed here. He believed and he obeyed, stretched out his hand, grabbed it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. So kids, when you're looking at your coloring page, and that's what you're seeing happen, the snake is changing from a snake back into the staff. So that tail part where he grabbed onto, in the picture you can see it changing back to a staff. Became a staff in his hand, verse five, God said, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, I'm gonna give you another sign here. Put your hand inside your cloak. He put his hand inside his cloak. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. When he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Now, that's a pretty scary moment too. Scary snake, sure. Leprosy, depending on the kind, was a death sentence in those days. 
It's restored. Verse 8, God says, If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So how many signs does God give to Moses? Gives three signs. Now, you know, for, for Hebrews, that's a, a significant thing. And for the Hebrews, when you do something or say something three times, dot, 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 holy, 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 they know that it means this truth goes on forever. It's eternal. So three different signs would say to the Hebrews, this man is from God. Uh, he's giving you signs and wonders to show that. But I want you to notice there in verse 9, if they will not believe even these, these two signs or listen to your voice. Now, when you go through the Gospel of John, John is really clear that the people who just saw Jesus' miracles and believed in him because of the miracles, a lot of those folks did not believe unto salvation, and they eventually turned and walked away when things got hard. Just seeing miracles is not enough. Faith comes by hearing. So God, even though he gives three signs, three miracles for Moses to, um, to share and to verify what he's sharing is true, the key is going to be listening to his voice. Faith comes by hearing. So God is going to give him words to share and signs to show. Verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. <laughs> He's basically saying, you haven't fixed me yet. There hasn't been any real big change in my eloquence. Now, we're not exactly sure what Moses is complaining about here. But if you think about it, he may not be really fluent in Hebrew. We're not sure about that. He was raised in the palace in, in Egypt. So he'd be fluent, obviously, in Egyptian. Um, not so much sure about his fluency in Hebrew, but he, he says, I'm not, I'm not eloquent, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. So the question here that Moses is raising here, he's not question, he's telling God, the effectiveness of your words, see, God told him what? He said, do the miracles, do the three signs, and then they will listen to your voice, the words I give to you. Now, Moses says here, well, my voice is, is crummy. My voice is not a great tool for you. So I ask you a question. Does the word of God and its power depend on your ability to say it and speak it fluently, eloquently? It's the word of God. It's his word. It's his Holy Spirit power. That's what depends on his power and effectiveness. I'm really glad of that every Sunday morning. Amen? Does it depend on how good a job I do? I'll do my best. That's my commitment before the Lord. What's he asking me? I'll do my best every Sunday morning. But you know what I rely on? God, I spoke your word. And your Holy Spirit went with it, and you will have your way with your word. It will not come back to you void. You will accomplish what you want to with it. That's what I depend on. Moses hasn't learned that yet. He will. The word doesn't depend on our skill. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, let's do the, this is a little sarcasm action. Do you know that God uses sarcasm? Check out the end of the book of Job. There's two or three chapters of it. It's powerful. 
This is sarcasm. We can use the voice tone that way. But do this with me, verse 11, uh, in unison out loud, would you? Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? He says, let's step back here a little bit, young man. He's not young anymore. How old is Moses right now? He's 80 years old. Let's step back for a moment, 80-year-old man. Who made you? Who made your mouth? Who made your eyes, everything? Who made you? Is it not I, the Lord? Verse 12. Now, therefore, go. I made you. I have called you. I have given you signs. I have given you the word. You are prepared. You have everything you need. You've got me. Now, therefore, go. I will be your mouth and teach you what you will speak. But Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> All right, let's get in line. Who's ever been there? Now, literally in the Hebrew, it's basically, please send anyone but me. <laughs> yeah. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Uh, it's not a laughing matter anymore, is it? The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming. In the verb tense, he's already on the way. God know that Moses needed support, needed a partner. When Jesus sent out the disciples to do miracles and do ministry, how did he send them out? Two by two. God knows how to encourage. Amen. God knows how to supply our every need. So God already has, God knew this was going to happen. He's already got hair on the way. Say, praise the Lord. I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. Just as God is obviously God to Moses and giving him the words to speak and telling him the miracles to do. God says, you will be like that to Aaron. I'm sure God has already instructed Aaron on the situation here. Moses is my chosen leader for this this amazing journey i am telling him and sharing with him everything i want to accomplish and how it's to be said so whatever moses tells you you will obey to the letter am i clear aaron and aaron must have said yes lord we don't have that conversation recorded here but that's the way it falls out you shall be as god to him verse 17 and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So God has given three things here. Moses said, pick anybody else but me. I'm not capable. I'm not able. I'm not the right guy. God says, okay, I'll give you signs. I'll give you my word. And I'll even give you a helper. Therefore, go. So we say this a lot, but you know, whatever God calls you to, 
he will equip you to accomplish. You say, well, what if I don't have a, a physical standing next to me, Aaron, a partner to help me in the ministry? You have a paraclete. You have a helper who is beside you and within you. He is the Holy Spirit. We have a companion. We have God with us. We are prepared. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, so, I don't know, we did, I didn't do the math, but you got Egypt over here, you got the Sinai wilderness desert here, you got Midian put over here, and the mountain of God, Sinai horror, is kind of back this way, it's back towards Egypt. So God meets Moses here at the mountain of God. He meets Moses, a godly man and respecter of his father-in-law, wants to go back to father-in-law and get permission to take his daughter and sons with him to Egypt. So Moses goes back. Oops, page flipped. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, which is away from Egypt, said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Because when Moses left, were, were, were times hard? They were dying under the, the lash, the whip, and serving it every day. Their little baby boys, a lot of them were dying in the Nile or being put to death by the Egyptians. Apparently Moses hasn't heard a word from brethren back home in 40 years. He doesn't even know if they're still alive. They're still in existence. Just please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. I give you permission. Verse 19, the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt now. For all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, there's two of them now, had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. So he's heading back there. On the way, he's going to uh, meet up with somebody. Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. And how many of them are there going to be? There's going to be three signs to speak to the Israelite leaders. I'm kind of jumping ahead now. How many signs for Pharaoh and the Egyptians? Ten. When you go back to Egypt, see that you go do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power. Now say this part with me because this is tough. Out loud. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. We're going to get to that, and we're going to go deep in it. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. God then adds on to the hardening. There is purpose in it. I can tell you what, if, if you don't know or have seen or heard, if you don't understand the sovereignty of God, and nobody does completely, this book will introduce you to sovereign Lord, meaning... God made you, made this whole universe. Your life is in the palm of his hands. And we, we don't have the choice or the standing to tell him what he should do with people he has made. And that's an uncomfortable place for us. God's going to show us some really powerful things, and, and today is one of them. We're coming up to it. I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my, what? Say with me. 
the firstborn son, the whole nation. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. They're done serving you. They're going to come out and serve you now. Now you got to keep in mind that Pharaoh and all the people of Egypt thought that Pharaoh was God. And that the children of the people of Egypt were sons, children of that God. So Pharaoh was already hearing from the God of Israel, the God of the universe, in language he can understand in very personal language. So when God says to Moses, says, you tell Pharaoh, thus is the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. God's laying down the, the gauntlet, right? God's going, listen here, Pharaoh. You think you're God? These people, Israel, they are my firstborn son. And you and I are going to go toe-to-toe over who they will serve. I say to you, verse 23, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, if you refuse to let Israel go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. That verse probably isn't on your refrigerator. (laughs) Who is the Lord God of the universe? He is sovereign Lord. Pharaoh and the people of Egypt at Pharaoh's command have, have been killing Israelite baby boys for decades. Are God's judgments judgments true and just? Amen. God gives him options here. He's going to give him ten opportunities. He says, if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now here comes an even harder passage. Are you ready? At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him. The Lord met Moses and sought to, say it with me, sought to put him to death you say excuse me what what the burning bush the whole thing what is this about we gotta we gotta read to the end of the story to find out we'll find it right here at a lodging place on the way the lord met moses and sought to put him to death then zipporah his wife took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched moses feet with it and said Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Ooh, what's going on here? Verse 26, hang in there. So God let Moses alone, backed off. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood, because of the, say it out loud with me, because of the circumcision. We got to go back and get a little backstory here. Back to Genesis chapter 17. So this whole thing, this whole incident where God almost killed Moses, it's about circumcision. You say, gee, making a big deal out of circumcision, are we? Yes, not not we are. God is. So Genesis chapter 17, verse 9. God said to Abraham, who is the man, the first man, Israel began with Abraham. God gave him the promises for his offspring and the nation and how they would bring Messiah to the planet. Salvation comes through the Jews. And begins here with his promise to Abraham. But as a part of it, this covenant, this uh, contractual agreement God makes with Moses, here's circumcision. Verse 9, God said to Abraham, 
As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Say with me, how many? Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And you say, what is circumcision all about? It's, it's a, a graphic and very physical present sign. The promise God made to Abraham, it passes from father to child, to the next father to child, father to down to the generations. The promise of God that one of your offspring is going to be the Messiah who will save the people, save the world from their sins. So the promise goes from generation to generation through the, the procreative act. This, the symbol, the sign is right there in the flesh. Verse 12, he who is, say it with me, how many days old? Eight days old among you shall be circumcised. We didn't know why it was on the eighth day until a few decades ago. A medical scientist was studying blood and its properties and how it functions, especially with newborns, and especially with newborn males. You know what he discovered? Their prothrombin and vitamin K on the eighth day after birth in the male child go way up off the charts. Those are things that help your blood clot. If you circumcise a baby born the seventh day, he'll bleed out and die. If you circumcise him on the ninth day, he might bleed out and die. Circumcise him on the eighth day. That's when those two, two uh, processes of the body go way off the charts. It's the safest day possible to do a surgical procedure on a little boy. So God, does God know science? God made science. God told him, you circumcise on the eighth day, not the seventh day, not the ninth day, the eighth day. It took us thousands of years to find out why the eighth day, but God knows best. Say that with me. God knows best. He was eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who was not of your offspring, servants, both he who was born in your house and who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Is there any open doors here for skipping a generation or gee, gee, that's icky. Oh, that might be pain. I can't do that to my son. No. Do it. A command from God. Verse 13, both he who was born in your house, who was bought with your money, shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh. And say it with me, how long does the covenant last? Everlasting covenant. And he unheard, now this is clear, this is really critical. Verse 14, and he uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So go back to Exodus chapter 4. Moses has met God in the burning bush. He's heard the whole spiel. He's on his way to obey and do the job, but his obedience has not been complete. He himself is circumcised. It's possible from the text that one of his sons is uncircumcised. We don't know for sure. But one of them hasn't. And it's past the eighth day. The indication we get from the story is that Zipporah was repulsed by circumcision and argued vehemently against it, and that Moses backed off. 
Now, she was an Israelite. This is part of that, you know, we're, we're not supposed to marry an unbeliever because a divided household makes for difficult choices all through life then. And we're not I'm, not, I'm not faulting Moses for marrying. He was in a tough spot, but he had a decision to make whether he was going to obey God or obey the squeamishness of his wife. And for one of his sons, he, he decided not to obey God. And he let it go. Now he's on his way to be God's chosen leader, brings people out of Egypt. And God must have said to Moses, circumcise that boy. And Moses either hesitated or said, God, I can't. And then God almost killed him. Well, there's things going on here that I, I don't pretend to understand the whole thing. Amen? But God brought Moses to near death. And somewhere along the line, Zipporah came to understand this issue is over our boy not being circumcised. And my husband is at, is at death's door. Moses isn't even capable of doing the circumcision. Who, circumcision? Who had to do it? Zipporah had to do it. What's God doing in her heart and mind? Now, she's not really on board yet, obviously. But she finally does come under obedience. To the one true living God. Moses is almost dead. He's not capable. She performs the circumcision. Touches the, the severed foreskin to his feet. And makes this strange, powerful declaration. You're a bridegroom of blood to me. But then God backed off and let him live. So there's been this preparation for Moses. Signs, word of God companion Aaron to help it out. There's also preparation needed to happen in Zipporah's heart and mind. And further obedience step in Moses to accomplish the deal. This is strange and bizarre stuff to us, right? But, but here's the deal. This passage makes it very, very clear, people. Where we stand before the sovereign Lord is a life and death matter. Even Moses nearly lost his life because he refused to obey in one, one area, one spot. We don't get to pick and choose where we obey. I'm not sure what more to say about this except, wow. She obeyed finally. And God gave grace and mercy to Moses. Say hallelujah. Verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God. He kissed him on the cheek. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak all the signs that he commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. So they got there. And brought together the elders, the leaders of the twelve tribes. Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Now this is what we want to hear more than any other thing in the story right now. Say with me, verse 31, just the first phrase. And the people believed. Say, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. The people believed. When they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. 
For over 80 years, they've been under terrible bondage and slavery. For over 80 years, their little baby boys' lives have been in danger, and many of them lost their lives. For 40 years, the man that thought he was going to be their savior had disappeared into the wilderness. They didn't know if he was alive or dead or coming back. They didn't know if God was listening to their prayers, to their cries of anguish. They didn't know for sure. So when Moses and Aaron show up and bring this word from God and the signs, and they heard and knew that God had visited the people, and he'd seen their affliction, and bowed their heads and worship. This is gratefulness. This is relief. This is hope. They bowed their heads and worship. People, when Jesus came and did his ministry for three years, he got this reaction too. How big were the crowds that came for healing, for demons to be cast out, for salvation? Thousands and thousands and thousands came. Many of them fell at his feet and wept to meet a God who had seen their affliction, knew how desperately they needed to know God's love and forgiveness and salvation and healing. They fell at his feet and wept. They listened to his voice, to his words, and they believed. This is the place where every human being needs to come to. To be before a sovereign, holy God who has each one of us in the palm of his hand, and yet who loves us so much that he would send Jesus to die on the cross for us. You have a need today? Are you in a Moses position where you've been rebelling against God and telling him, I'm not going to obey in that part of my life, I'm just going to do it my way, that's all there is to it? Today the Lord's telling you, give that up, confess that, repent of it right now. It's not just heaven and hell. I mean, it is life and death, and it's eternity. And this is where we need to be, bowed down, worshiping, grateful that Jesus would come and offer forgiveness, mercy, grace, or whatever I've thought or said or done. But I can't do it my own way. I've got to come under his sovereign authority. This God is not to be messed with. And on the other hand, his love is to be celebrated and cherished and grabbed a hold of. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to admit that we far often take advantage of you. We make you into a fuzzy, dice, comfortable God. I want to thank you for scripture, stories, passages like this that just bring that up short real fast and let us know this is a serious matter. You are a holy God and that is not to be trifled with. I want to thank you for your mercy and your grace to Moses and to Zipporah. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross for every single one of us.
So God, we encounter your holiness, your power and majesty this morning. And we're glad to go straight to the cross and repent and confess. And ask your forgiveness. Ask that we would know and taste your love and have the joy of our salvation again. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we bless you. Thank you for your grace and forgiveness now. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, Amen.